Welcome to Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton, and today we are joined by Mr. James Pitts. He's the principal at Greenwood Commercial Real Estate Group. Greenwood is a national commercial real estate services company. It's licensed or has affiliates in 16 states with offices in some major cities like Atlanta, DC, Detroit, Denver, and Philadelphia. And they focus on tenant buyer representation in the area's office, industrial, retail, and land transactions for local markets. It it serves uh, for large corporate users with multiple locations. Uh, James is a seasoned professional with over 26 years of progressive experience and an impressive track record with several industry-leading companies. His, his, um, his background in education, he has a degree in electrical engineering from Texas A&M. He has an MBA in finance, marketing, and strategy from Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management. And he has a, a unique blend of tech, technical expertise and business acumen. He had roles with JLL, uh, Motorola, Starwood, Procter & Gamble, and Johnson Controls, just to name a few. And in this conversation, you can see how his experience, as well as his upbringing, has shaped him into a, an accomplished problem solver. And now he's a, definitely a thought leader in the industry. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. So without any further ado, here he is, Mr. James Pitts. James Pitts, welcome to the show. Hey, Dustin. Great to be here. I'd like to start with you introducing yourself and just say a little bit about who you are and and what you currently do. Got it. Uh, James Pitts. I sit in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm one of the co-founders of Greenwood CRE, a national uh, commercial real estate services firm. I've been in the commercial real estate industry about 28 years. Um, I'm originally from West Texas. Friday Night Lights uh, is where I grew up in that part of Texas. Uh, Recovering electrical engineer from Texas A&M. MBA, I used to work as an engineer, MBA from Northwestern in finance and strategy. Got uh, got my start uh, at Sheridan Hotels and then Jones Lang LaSalle, uh, hitting up um, uh, multiple accounts across the Southeast and some uh, one national account. And um, I did a stint with um, Grub, Grub and Ellis after JLL. I did a stint with... Um, Johnson Controls Global Workplace Solutions, where I did global outsource real estate uh, solutions for huge companies uh, all over the world. And um, then I was with Sodexo for a bit. And then with the bro- uh, then I was also the uh, head of development for H.J. Russell here in Atlanta for a little while. Then went oh. back into private practice in 2021, well, actually before that, and started Greenwood CRE back in 2021. And we have been growing explosively. Okay, that's it. That's the end of the show. You just said everything there is. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned first that you you said Friday Night Lights. Did you grow up in a sports culture? Is that yeah, something that you I were- mean it? I mean, literally, I, I've never seen any of those movies, uh, any of that, because I was at those games. Uh, you know, we played against uh, Odessa Permian, and so. But I, the only sport I didn't play was was. Uh, was football. I played everything else, track, baseball, basketball. I didn't play tennis or golf, but uh, the major food groups out in Texas was really is football, 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 then basketball and baseball. 
and then I played basketball at Texas A&M. Oh, very nice. I wasn't aware of that. That's awesome. Uh, so when you when you were you mentioned being an electrical engineer, was that what was that your plan in high school? Did you already know that that's what you wanted? I to do? actually in eighth grade, seventh eighth grade, my dad said, "Son, pick something that will train you. You may not like it, but you can always." you know, you can always get a job in. He said, you're really good at science and math. What about being an engineer? I didn't know what an engineer was. Eighth grade, I chose that. I worked I worked at that all through high school. And I went to Texas A&M on a full academic scholarship for electrical engineer. How, and how did you choose Texas A&M? What was that? What, were you choosing between other places or was that the, the one place you wanted Man, to go? I, I had a bunch of offers from a bunch of different schools. I had some basketball offers as well but I chose the academic route and A&M was like the, like Georgia Tech's a big engineering school here in, in Georgia. And A&M was known as the engineering school in Texas. And um, just uh, my, my grandfather went to Prairie View A&M. He was a valedictorian there. My father went to Prairie View A&M and then I ended up at Texas A&M and uh, you know, actually it's where I met uh, my wife. So we last week would would have been the 40th anniversary of us meeting and becoming best friends and being married 25 years in June. Wow! Congratulations! Happy anniversary! Yeah, yeah thank you. How did you uh, How did you meet? Uh, she walked by and one of my buddies asked her to shoot pool, and she stopped, and um, we became friends. and And 12 years later, we got together. Was Was she good at pool? Uh, she never beat me until about five years ago so oh, gotcha. she, she's actually good at pool <laughs> yeah well it took a while for her to beat you but either way you, i think yeah. you both you both uh both made it work so when you're when you're in college you're studying electrical engineering and did you once you were taking your classes did you figure out what that next step was when you were there were you already trying to figure that out no man it, it, i mean back in those days it was your parents would say get a good job work there for 30 years get a you know get a pension and retire, right? So, you know, just getting through electrical engineering uh, was hard enough. And then, you know, just I had, I, I'm in oil country. So I had a bunch of, you know, companies that wanted me to go work for oil companies. But I ended up working for a company called, uh, well, it was owned by Monsanto. I used to automate manufacturing, manufacturing plants using mainframes. And then later on, I went to go work at Motorola, and I worked on microchips. So, but that just what, that wasn't my, that wasn't my bag. I was really good at it. I won national awards, um, but I just didn't, it wasn't, it didn't like my fire. So I needed to go into the witness protection program, which is either you get a law degree or an MBA because otherwise you get typecast as an engineer. And I wish I had done the joint JD MBA. And back then Kellogg was number one in the world. And I got accepted to uh, Kellogg and, uh, and loved it. Excellent. Excellent, excellent uh, experience. So, when you were making that decision, can you can you kind of walk through that decision making process? Like, what 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 other you were weighing different options and what you were going to do, and what was the thing that that put you over the top to to go there? So, I knew I knew I had I had been in engineering about five years. Uh, just couldn't see a future in it. I saw people who had been working there for 10, 15, 20 years, and I just thought I don't want to be that guy. And mm-hmm. I need something different. So I, I have a high risk tolerance. So I let, basically moved, you know, uh, applied. Uh, I, I got into a bunch of, a bunch of uh, business schools and took the best one um, that I could find, which was number one. 
and uh, made that move to Chicago, man. And, and, and I, if I could do it again, I'd do it all over. And you mentioned that what you were previously doing didn't light your fire. And that resonates deeply with me because all the, the steps that I've taken into my career, like I, I go into something and I'm like, oh, this is cool. Then after a while, oh, maybe this isn't for me. How do you go about measuring that? Like what energizes you? Is there a specific process that you go through? Or It's one of those things, you know it when you feel it, you know it when you see it. Uh, and, and here's the thing, man, like I had an engineering degree, then I got an MBA. And so uh, somebody asked me once, like, man, like you don't seem to be afraid to jump out and be an entrepreneur. And I said, well, based on my experience, my education, how far could I fall? You know, like, like now at some point when you get to a certain age, you can fall pretty far because you age out. But so I felt like my engineering and my MBA gave me the platform to be, take risk. And I've jumped out and been an entrepreneur. I've gone back into corporate. I've jumped out. And so, you know, and what I'll say is, is that uh, MBA teaches you to make other people money. You become, you know, you're a manager. And so they take really smart people and, they t and you're being trained to make other people money. Um, when I got into commercial real estate, the creativeness of it, the ability to be my own uh, source of uh, income, um, just it's different every time. Loved it. Just I, I just felt at home. And I, I and so when you think about it as an engineer, I'm a problem solver by nature. So if I can be strategic and solve problems, and that's and real and then real and and I'm a people person too. So real estate's all about people at the end of the day. It, it's it's like the trifecta for me. What was your introduction to commercial real estate or to real estate in general? So interesting you say that. So my family, we still own some land in the East Texas that my grandpa for over a hundred years. So as you know, um, African Americans, we uh, I think we peaked at ownership of land after slavery, probably in the 1920s, and after that we began to lose land. My grandfather, uh, who I'm named after, bought land uh, in Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, we still have 117 acres where I was born. Um, and so we all, and then he bought land in the town that I was born in, to be frank, in the white part of town, not across the tracks where the black people live. And he owned a whole city block and he had houses on it. So as a kid, I actually, I was telling somebody the other day, I actually never took vacation. Like hmm. we I think we went to Disney once when I was little, when I was like five. But other than that, you go see family or we would go to East Texas because I lived in West Texas and we would work on our rent houses every summer. So I learned a lot about carpentry and painting and, and being a landlord for my dad. And, um, but just never really, I never really thought about it as a career, didn't see it and definitely didn't understand commercial. Like, mm -hmm. even though I took some commercial real estate finance classes, I, it just never clicked for me. You know, when I, when you drive by buildings, who owns it, who manages it, you know, what, what's the money flow, who's putting those people, just, it, it was like the biggest it was like right in front, the elephant in front of me that I didn't see. Mm -hmm. And so you had exposure to it, but then after those years and you're doing these different things, when did you come back to it? When, when did you, so when, when did I, you open your was, eyes to it? When I got out of, so here, here, here's what's funny. When I got out of uh, business school, well, I went to Sheridan Hotel. So I was in real estate in the hotel business. We got bought by Starwood um, and I got 
they asked me to stay, but they said, if you want to go, we'll give you, because you're an executive of the firm, we'll give you, I actually came to San Diego my very first day of uh, working for Sheridan. Uh, we had our annual meeting out there. So um, we, uh, they said, you know, as an executive, you can take the, the uh, golden parachute or you can stay. I took the golden parachute. I had some cash in my pocket and I had a buddy who was buying and selling houses in Atlanta. So I ended up buying houses and apartments and I'd lease some, I'd, I'd renovate some and, and sell them. And so I, I was in that real estate game, but I still hadn't really paid attention to commercial. And, and you're about to ask me how I got into it. A classmate of mine from Kellogg called me up and said, hey, we're opening up the JLL office in Atlanta. We need to hire some folks. We only hire MBAs. Would you be interested in the interview? And I was like, I don't know anything about commercial. He said, you're, you got an MBA from Kellogg. You're an engineer. And you do know you, you're already in real estate. Try, come, come interview. So I went to JLL, interviewed. Uh, I was the fastest, at that time, fastest promoted vice president um, that they had uh, ever had. I think I got promoted to VP in, in six months. And um, my first big deal was supposed to be a 20,000 square foot office deal. It turned to 80,000 square feet. And I did it in three weeks. And nobody knew I was doing it except, except my friend who hired me. And I, I walked into my manager and three weeks later, and I said, hey, here's a, the deal sign. I, I did a swing lease. I did some other stuff. He said, wait a minute, this should have taken you three or four months. I said, the CEO wanted to get it done. So we did 80,000 square foot office deal in three, in three weeks. And after that, man, they just turned me loose at JLL and I, and it was, it was a wrap. <laughs> That's amazing. How old were you at this time? Oh man. I, when I started JLL, I was in 30, in my thirties. Um, oh gosh. So maybe like early, earlier, mid thirties. Yeah. 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 Early. Yeah. Actually I was, it was early, early mid thirties. And so, so well, I'm getting old, man. Don't ask me all these questions. <laughs> well, no, I want to I want to put a reference because if you're just starting out in commercial real estate at that age, but you're coming with a lot of life experience into that, and you know, having those credentials and, like you said, they only hire MBAs. You brought a lot into it, but then to be able to use those transferable skills and see immediate success, I mean, there's a there's a great lesson in in that, and just you know, having that background and maybe you didn't have it figured out quite yet, but you could use all of that into your next step. Man, I, to this day, I love leases. Like I, like, like I get excited when I see a good lease. So like I took on learning leases. I work with the attorneys. Um, I understood the project management side from my engineering side and I just loved it. Like I, I just became a real, a commercial real estate nerd, like overnight. Wow. So, and you mentioned the, because of your background in engineering and you're a problem solver, could you talk a little bit about how that really does influence the way you look at things now? Yeah. So that, that gives you process that gives you the ability to, or me, the ability to um, look beyond, and with the MBA, you know, at the end of the day, um, you're really solving uh business problems with real estate. And if you can get beyond the, trans, the the mechanics of the transaction and understand how the real estate supports the business objectives, to me, that used engineering, MBA, and strategy. And so, you know, it, 
you know, and, and I was a finance major, so I understood the money. And so I love doing analysis and I, I will wear a spreadsheet out. Hmm. Were there any, because it sounds like you're like, wow, this is right in my wheelhouse. Everything that I like and I enjoy and I'm good at applies to this. Were there any challenges or obstacles that you had at that time that you're, that, you know, you're saying, I love all of this, but here are some things that I don't either like or things that I really need to work on to overcome. Nope. My, my problem was I was, I, I mean, I'm being frank is that I, I was, I was good at all of it. And so my, <laughs> I love that. So, so my, ad, well, my admins used to get upset because I would do all, I do all my own stuff. Cause I just do it quick. Right. And then, and then, so I used to train the analysts at JLL and then, you know, and, and I wasn't the kind of person that I would say, well, I'm just going to let the analysts look at the numbers. I went through every cell because it was on me to what, when I walked into a client to make sure that I understood what we were telling them was the right thing to do. And so, um, it, you know, if I, yeah, I just, it, it wasn't a, um, it wasn't like, I, I don't know, man. It, it was like, I, I hit my stride when I hit commercial real estate. It, it, fit, mm -hmm. it fit all of my aptitudes and interests. And so you're there for, how, so how long were you at JLL? About four years. And then uh, we left and started a company called Kellogg. Me and that, uh, my, my classmate and friend left and started Kellogg Partners. Okay. Which and we met at Kellogg and we started Kellogg Partners. And that, so, and this is your, this is your own firm. It's, is it a subsidiary of another company or just oh, jumped out on your own? So it, I mean, it's really the predecessor to, to Greenwood, but um, it was our own company. And um, he was, you know, he run a, a bunch of big accounts at GLL and we actually got national press. It was like, you know, two black guys started a company and we were, you know, both uh, engineering majors. He went to West Point and we both went to Kellogg and we got national press and the, which we, you know, which was it tells you at the lack of diversity in the industry that two guys opened up a shop in Atlanta got national press. Mm -hmm. Was, were there any different challenges that you had? Cause I'd imagine, you know, you're coming from a structure like JLL and you're doing that, but now you're starting from, I won't say it's from scratch, but you're, you're building something up. Were there any challenges that you faced well, when you're doing that? Say there's structural challenges inside of a, inside of a, one of the big firms as well that mm -hmm. uh, many folks face. Uh, when you, we stepped out, we actually pitched for, uh, it was a regional, large regional organization. I won't say the name of it. And um, uh, they, they put up a 2 million square foot portfolio in Atlanta. And we pitched against uh, the top three, JLL, CV, and Cushman. When we got done, the head of real estate and the chief administrative officer said, they, they gave us a standing ovation. And they said, um, good news or bad news? Oh, what's the good news? You guys are head and shoulders above anybody else we interviewed. What's the bad news? You're a small firm. And if you guys go, you know, we have some, uh, you know, we have some relationships with some of these bigger firms. And he said, uh, if, if I were to give you this work and you mess up, I get fired. If I give it to one of the bigger firms and they mess up, it's their fault. He said, I'm just being straight. He said, if you guys will go back and get a card with any of the big firms, we'll award this to you today. And we said, well, we already left those firms. We're not trying to do that. So we will have to say no. So that, that, was, that hurt because 2 million square feet, man, of office and retail, that would have been a nice, a nice, a nice one to, to roll with. How long did it take you to actually think about what they said? Because it sounds like 
from now in hindsight, you're like, nope, we we crossed that path. But was there a, a, a tug there? No, just nope, nope. We we immediately said no. <laughs> I mean, so you know, just, you know, to me, most things are cut and dry. So um, we said no, we're not going back to a big firm, and if we can't, you know, get there being ourselves, then we can't get there. I love that. So how how long was that? firm going and then what what was what were the other steps there because you're you're going up against the big players you're doing these things like what were what were the steps of success that you achieved so that that firm uh went through a few iterations um it's i mean we started that in 2001 it's now um it's now the atlanta entity of greenwood so we changed the name to greenwood cre atlanta um so that firm is still in existence uh, okay. up until 2021. It had that name, and you know, it, you know, we went through the uh, what do you call it, 2008, when the, the market downturn. And uh, well, I'll say this: uh, me and my partner got recruited to Grub and Ellis. He was the president of the Eastern Region of Grub and Ellis, and he asked me to come with him. The firm never went out of existence. Uh, two years later, we left. And I ended up at Johnson Controls Global Work, Workplace Solutions, but the firm never went out of existence. And then I actually uh, enticed my wife because I was flying around the world. I'd say, hey, could, you know, and during that that downturn in the market, we did a lot of REO work. And I'd say, hey, can you go? You can't. You're not an agent, but can you go open this space up and leave it open and go back and close it? And after a while, I said, could you just get your license? And next <laughs> thing you know, can you get your broker's license? So next thing you know. She became my, she's been my business partner for 14 years. And so when I was off running around the world, she ran the company. I came back in and um, did a stint at Sodexo, did a stint at H.J. Uh, Russell. And uh, and then she's and that company has just kept kept moving. So when all this time that you're you're growing things and then you mentioned that, you know, you're doing a stint here, a stint there. What what was that? thought process like for you when you're deciding when to throttle, you know, throttle back or, or pivot or go there? Like what are, what is your decision-making process? Cause you, you're very, you're, you're a very uh, analytical person. You know, you, you can, you can do, you can get into the minutia, but I also see a very holistic person too, where you're, you're taking into account all the factors involved. Walk me through your decision-making process when you're making a big, big decision. So in 2008, when the market was in tanked and brokers were losing their jobs and leaving the industry in droves, um, I got approached, I, for whatever reason, I got approached by a bunch of headhunters and they were like, we want you to be the head of real estate of this company and this company. And and then my dear friend, Craig Robinson, uh, sent a headhunter my way and they said, we want you to go do uh, global uh, solution development for you know these huge companies that's facility management, project management, transactions, and lease administration. And these are, you know, $150 million a year contracts, you know, you're taking over their entire portfolio. And I said, Hey guys, I know nothing about facility management. And so they said, no, we still want to interview. So I get to the interview, I make it through this two or three rounds. And then I get to the final interview. Well, they said, we want you to come up to, to uh, Milwaukee for the final interview. I said, you do know I don't know anything about facility management, which is a large <laughs> part of this. I said, are you sure you want me to come up there? Yes, we'll pay for it. Come up here and meet us. Go up there and meet them. I'm in an interview. 
guy, about 45 minutes to an hour and a half, he goes, I'm hiring you. I said, you do know I don't know anything about facility management. I told you that at the beginning of the interview. He said, I know. He said, but it's not, he said, but you're a quick study. You'll get it. So three months later, um, my first project was the biggest project in the whole company. I said, well, who's going to, who am I going to, you know, be next to, to work on this with, to, to learn from? They said, no, you're running it. I said, I hadn't had any training. They said, you're running it. And I got through that. We were successful. And next thing you know, I got all the big projects. Uh, and they were like, you're one of the best we, we've ever seen. I was like, wow. Okay. So yeah, it, it was, um, so for me, th that job was in the middle of the, of the recession. We still had our business going and it was a nice paying job with benefits. And I had two kids in school, in private school. And so having that ability to weather the recession and to also have our real estate business still going to me made sense. And I was still, and I was learning a lot more about real estate. So I, I got to see how the big firms um, analyze, estimate and price all of their services. And so we were competing against JLL and CBRE, but you know, you, you name the top 50 companies in the world. I was competing against those guys. So to me, I was learning, I was learning and earning. So there's a couple of things that stand out. Number one, that you kept saying and reiterating, you know, I don't know how to do this, but they saw those transferable skills or the fact that you've been able to do, have so much success in your prior ventures and, and your, your current venture at the time. So the fact that they saw that and you were able to, you know, hit another home run, that's good on them. Well, it's good on well, you, well, but it's good on them too for, well, for seeing one that. Guy, one guy told me he'd been there 30 years. He said, he said, you're an interesting guy. I said, why? He said, he said, we keep throwing you in the deep end of the pool and I don't know how you keep getting out. He said, I was like, I said, you know, man, I said, I don't know if it's the engineer in me or it's a West Texas, you know, fight. I don't know what it is. I said, but I like a challenge. And um, yeah. And so it, it was, I don't know. And I just, and, and I'm very transparent, Dustin. So uh, I always tell people what I can or cannot do, and I make sure that they're clear on it. And I'm like, you do know that I can't do that or I'm not good at this. And if you still want me to work on it, I can, but you need to be, you, you've been warned. Yeah, and you're, so setting, you're I, setting, you're level setting the expectations. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey. And, uh, you know, and uh, that served me well. You know, it, it just, that's just how I'm the same person you see at work as you see it at the grocery store. So just very transparent. That's great. So when you, that's really cool. I didn't know about that part. And now I'm thinking, you said learning and earning. Now you have another tool in your tool belt from doing that and knowing all those things. So now you can bring that to what you currently do. Cause now you see how that rolls up into the performance of an asset. Yep. And, you know, and I had to put together the, you know, one, you had to read like a 300, three or 400 page RFP. Then we would put together a 90 or to 100 page response to that. Sometimes I think one was 200 pages. Uh, and so when it comes to responding to corporate RFPs for services, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Hmm. Well, you mentioned a couple of times some of the people that you've worked with and partnered with, you know, your your wife is your best friend and your know, business partner also. And uh, that's fantastic. That's that's 
that's really cool to hear that. I love that. Uh, but you also mentioned some of the people you went to school with. Was there anybody in your life, you know, whether it's even from childhood or uh, your early stages in your career, was there somebody that was a mentor in some way or anybody that kind of gave you some, some guidance? Yeah. You know, I had, a, I had an engineer who, whose last name I cannot remember. I can, I can see his face uh, when I was in high school and I was, I've been trying to figure out how to find this guy, but he really helped me to get organized around pursuing engineering. He was a, a black engineer out in West Texas for an oil company and he just really took me under his wing. So I, I, if I could find him, I would. Um, and uh, I can I see his face is as clear as day. And you know, and that was forty something years ago. I just celebrated our we just had our fortieth high school reunion. And then I had a manager at JLL that I really enjoyed, um, a guy named Frank Mann. He's retired now, and he he really showed me what it means to be accountable and responsible and take leadership. We were we were in a meeting. I had done the numbers. It was a big client and I just made a mistake straight up. Like, and it was a big mistake in the spreadsheet. And, um, and so you got to own your mistakes. And so I had gone through it. I, I, Frank was, Frank trusted me because he's always like, man, your spreadsheets are always immaculate. This is the one time I screwed up and he didn't check it. So we're sitting there with the client. We're looking at the presentation. And I realized I'm off by several million dollars. And I was like, time out. Uh, There's a huge mistake here. Before I could take, before I could take credit for the mistake, Frank said, that's my fault. I should have checked this. We'll have this back to you here within an hour or two. And I, I but I knew what the number should be. So I, we just talked through it mm-hmm. and, you know, we leave the office, we get down to the, to the lobby. And I said, Frank, that was my mistake. Why did you take, um, why did you take the hit? I said, you should have thrown me under the bus. And he said, well, what kind of leader would I be? He said, it's my client. It's my relationship. I'm accountable for ultimately responsible for whatever we put in front of that client. And he said, I should have checked it. And he said, so he said, that makes me look bad. And it's not, and he said, that doesn't help you. And so to me, that just, I don't know, that that just, that just stuck in my head of that's how you want, you know, and we've all had managers who pass, pass the buck and pass the blame. And mm. if you're my manager, you are ultimately accountable. I love that. How, how old would you say you were at this time when you, oh, that was mid thirties. That was mid thirties. Okay. You know, and, 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 and so what you find is, is that people are afraid of looking bad. You're afraid of admitting mistakes. And so, you know, if I make a mistake, I'm going to own it. I'm going to tell you I made a mistake. If I don't know something, I'm going to tell you I don't know it. And I just, if, 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 if as human beings, we can get over our fear of not knowing or looking bad or making a mistake, the world gets a lot easier. Mm. And when you have the people around you that you like and you trust that you, that, that lessens that fear of mistakes because you know, you're on the, you're on a team. Right. Doing together. Well, and, and here's the thing. We're all human. We're going to make mistakes. And mm-hmm. I have to I have to have space for you to make a mistake and I have to have space for me to make a mistake. And it's and I used to coach soccer, man. And I tell my my players, uh, we were actually ranked like fourth in Georgia before I retired. I say. Um, what matters is not the mistake you made. It, what, what matters is what you do immediately after you make the mistake. Mm hmm. 
one of the things when I was coach, coaching my, my son's basketball teams, like early on, I was getting really frustrated with the number of turnovers. This is when they were like six years old. Uh, they, this team were all six-year-olds. And I was like, <laughs> I got so frustrated with the turnovers because, you know, they're all like, pass, pass, pass. And then they get flustered and they don't know what to do. Then they throw it. Then a kid doesn't catch it and it goes out of bounds. And I said, you know what? We're done with that. Just run down the court and throw it at the hoop. <laughs> like you need to shoot the ball. Like this, I, I remember I told him, like this is basketball. It's not basketball. <laughs> like you got to put the ball in the hoop. But I felt like they were afraid of missing and being. I'm like, but otherwise you're just throwing the ball out of bounds. James, we didn't lose another game for two years. <laughs> wow. Once, once I took the, I mean, again, they're six year olds, but. Once you took that fear of like, oh, I don't know what to do and the indecision and it just became a game of run down the court and throw it at the hoop, everything everything worked out. It was uh Well, it, it's, it's, it's what it's what you have people focus their attention on that matters and that's yes. what you did. And by the way, man, um having coached kids from that age, they don't get serious until about twelve or thirteen. That's when they their brains and bodies catch up. So mm-hmm. it was fine, but but you know, um as I used to say, man, like you can probably tell, I'm not afraid of taking a shot. So, I, you know, I used to say, I was, coach, I was open when I crossed half court. <laughs> oh, yeah. hey, first of all, I'm from Philly. So everybody, everybody's open all the time. It's, uh, it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. I, I want to make sure that we spend some time talking about Greenwood CRE um, okay. and what you're doing. And I know you talk a little bit about, you know, that it transitioned from a, a previous name, but can you talk about, Greenwood and how it came to be and your origin story. Yeah. So uh, we're sitting here in the middle of COVID and I've got a couple of companies, big companies reaching out to me saying, Hey, you know, we'd like for you to come back and work in, work in our shops and, you know, your experience and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there going like there, there is a, there is a hole, there's a missing in our industry, you know, as everybody talks about we're, you know, it's one to 3% African-American, um, you know, all of my friends in the industry, I've, I've watched a lot of people come and go. I've held a lot of licenses for people who didn't make it in the industry. And then a lot of my uh, peers and colleagues and contemporaries, we worked in the big firms and quite frankly, hit the, hit the glass ceiling and had to go. And I thought there's no, you know, firm that is competing at the corporate services level that has national coverage with offices that looks like us. And I thought, you know, if not me and the people I know, who's going to do it, you Mm -hmm. know? And uh, it seems like there, it seems like the people who came behind us, like there's kind of been a drop off as far as like the numbers and how far they get in the industry and where we were able to get back when I was there. So I don't know who's exactly behind this. So we started talking about it. I've been talking about it for years, started talking with some guys. And then we were trying to figure out the name. And we thought, you know, it doesn't need to be Pitts and Co. and Pitts and Associates or it needs to mean something. And, um, you know, I mentioned I was at Kellogg and this was right after George Floyd. And I was the president of the Black Management Association. And you can tell I'm very outspoken and, and, and straightforward. And so some of my white classmates called me after George Floyd and they said, man, you are always so straight. Can we talk to you about race? Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure. I said, but we're going to have a, we're going to set up a series of calls. We're going to talk, we're going to talk about race with, I said, this isn't to make you feel better about race. We're going to talk about race. 
like we're going to get into it. So we got to talk about history. So we had a, um, a historian from Tulsa, white historian. He's a University of Michigan now. He's a Smithsonian historian, and he wrote a couple of books on Greenwood. So we, you know, we talked about what happened with Greenwood, and um, it was a fascinating, fascinating. You know, like you hear about it, but then to read the books and to hear him talk about it and hear how his struggles with even bringing the story to light, like people didn't want to talk about it. And then what really got me, Dustin, was uh, there was a piece in there and some of the research we did. And people said that, you know, Greenwood outside of Oklahoma uh, was one of the richest zip codes in the United States in the early 1920s. Um, And not just black zip codes, any zip code. Tulsa was having an oil boom, black folks owned land, they had their own businesses. But somebody said what made Greenwood special was not the money and the wealth, but the sense of community and collaboration that people were helping each other get forward their lives, forward their businesses, you know, like advance. And so my wife said to me, she said, you know, you got to name this Greenwood, right? Like it's Mm got to be about that. It's got to be about making the pie bigger. It's got to be about disrupting the commercial real estate industry. And so it clicked. And so that was like, I, we were sitting at the kitchen table. That was our, it was about 10 minutes. And that was our entire marketing. Uh, 10 minutes later, I, I created a uh, uh, a logo, which you, you've seen. And so in about 20 minutes, Greenwood was named and had a logo. So, and then, and then we just chose that and ran with it. And so we, we started, April 21st, I'm sorry, April, April, uh, 13th, 2021, we got a call on starting on Tuesday. We got a call from a, a, a global, uh, I guess, global 50 firm on Wednesday. They said, can we speak to you on Thursday? And we didn't practice. We didn't have a presentation. We just showed up. We, we just told them who we were, told them what we could do, what we couldn't do. Three months later, they hired us as a, uh, as a, as a national supplier. So we kept it moving. So at that time, how many people were involved in this? It was just five of us. <laughs> yeah. Now but it's you, well but, over. It's just, it's just like over 60 now. In two yeah, and a half that's years. amazing. That's, I'm, I'm so impressed. I know I said earlier, I think maybe been before we started recording, but it's it's cool to watch what uh, watch what you've been able to, to accomplish so far and, and see where you're going. So you're, you're five people, you go into these meetings, you're like, this is, this is what we are. This is what we're about. This is how we do. So what, what was the next steps for your growth? Oh man. So, well, we, we had to define who we were and what we did. Uh, we had to define, you know, our value proposition and the services that we will offer and why someone should hire us. Uh, and then, you know, and given that we were all 20 plus year veterans, we all had relationships. So we started letting people know what we're up to. Um, we began to reach out to people that we did know and didn't know and say, this is what we're doing. Um, and quickly, man, I mean, we started picking up clients and, and, and you'll look at, if you see our logo, it says powered by excellence. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talked about was that, um, it's, there's no agreement or welcome for people of color in this industry. It just isn't. And so, you know, it's hard to be in here. So if you've been here 20 something years, you got You got to be resilient. You got to be creative. You, you got to be hardworking and you can't take no for an answer. And so, you know, we understand, you know, when we're, when we're coming in and we're actually 
you know, not just going for local one-off transactions, but we're asking for a piece of the pie that's the big boys compete for. Mm-hmm. And we're like, you know, we're small. We don't have all that technology. We don't have all the, the dots on the map. So the only thing we can do is outperform. And, you know, you may have heard this growing up as a black man, but, you know, your parents said you had to work twice as hard. I did work twice as hard, be twice as smart. So in Texas, we say we got to show up and show out. And so when we show up, man, like no matter how big or small the project is, we, I mean, we give it our all. And it's not just about doing the transaction, but it's about being like adding value. And like I said, solving those business problems through real estate. And so we began to define that and define our story. And it's just kind of grown organically, man. It's, it's been, it's been, it's been a blast. And, and I can't, we, we are, someone said today on our um, management meeting, they said, you know, like we have so many opportunities in front of us, like, 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 wow, like just wow. And so, you know, we're, we're looking at how do we structure the company? How do we create support inside the company so that we don't, um, that we can handle the opportunities in front of us and continue to work with excellence. How your why and that energy that you brought into this from that, you know, hearing that, that professor, the historian talk and how that has become part of your culture, if you will, how do you, are there any ways that you keep that going? Is that anything that you do as far as like building culture and make sure that that mindset yeah. and that feeling permeates through all of your expansion? So- so here's what I'd say. Mindset is key to everything. I mentioned I was a soccer coach, never played soccer, but um, we basically, I had a bunch of black and Hispanic kids that um, we outperformed because of mindset. And we, you know, real quick story, we played against the Syracuse D1 coach and his all-star D1, D2 players in, in Disney, which is the biggest tournament in the world. 20 coaches were there to watch them. We beat them 7-2. Ooh. Nobody had ever seen us before. We ha- I had a kid with duct tape on his cleats. And one of the coaches said, I've never seen kids play like this. And he said, what are you teaching these kids? And I said, it's mindset. And so at Greenwood, um, we, you know, as you know, brokerage is dog eat dog, you know, dog eat dog, right? And I can't stand it. And so if you're here and, it's, and you're a me, me, me person, you got to go. Like, that doesn't work. So our culture is collaborative. We're here to make the pie bigger. Everybody here is uh, accomplished. Everybody's smart, but they're also cool. And we realize that Dustin, I need to do, I need to handle this small transaction, a thousand square foot transaction with excellence in my market so that you can get that 50,000 square foot transaction from the same client in your market, because Mm -hmm. it's all important to the client. And so if you can't buy into, and I mentioned my players, uh, most kids in soccer take three or four passes and shoot. We took 20. Mm. And I told my, I told my kids, I said, if you pass the ball, it doesn't matter who scores. And in that tournament at Disney, typically two or three kids score in four games. I had nine kids score. Like that's nuts. And coaches are like, we've never seen anything like this. Like what is going on? Because no, I don't, we don't care who scores. We're just, we're just, we're just supporting each other moving the ball. And so that's really, I bring that, you know, we bring that into our culture here at Greenwood. And there's just times where, you know, it's not like, well, oh, if I'm working on this, what's my split? What's my fee? What's this? It's what do we need to do to take care of the the firm, the team, the client? 
with what you're doing right now and as you're expanding into other markets, right? Because you're, what, what markets are you in now? I know, I know a couple of them, but I don't want to. Man, uh, Atlanta, Denver, Dallas, LA, Miami, New York City, Philly, uh, DC, Baltimore, Memphis, Nashville. I'm probably missing some. Um, we're in 22 states. And then there's some tertiary mark. Like we're doing some projects right now in Jacksonville and Tampa. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just did something over in Birmingham. So, you know, and we'll tell people we're not in Idaho or Wyoming, like, mm -hmm. like we're just not there. And so we're, we're in your major cities. Are there any challenges that, that you face in, um, in like, cultural regional differences or, or is everybody same page everywhere? Like you guys have your calls and everyone's people, on the same people, page. People are people. And if we do a good job betting people to come mm -hmm. in, then, you know, you have to have a, a certain mindset to be a part of Greenwood. Yeah. And we, we, we've talked to people that didn't have that mindset. They were more transactional versus relationship oriented and they just weren't fit. That the whole concept of hey we're we're in this together like we're it's not about the credit it's not about these things we're we're a unit we're a team we're doing this together was that when in your mind did that first start to that ethos come into your world is that that something that you got early on or is it something that was been developed over the years yeah you know I've always been that I've always been that guy like that's just been I don't know if that's how my parents raised me but I've always had that mentality of uh, teamwork. I always feel like the team, you know, I, I think a team of people will always, you know, we were beating, as I mentioned, D1, D2 players, like, and beat them badly. And a lot of my kids did go to college and they, they went to like smaller schools, but we we beat those boys like they stole something. Mm. And And so for me, I couldn't start a company or be a part of a company that was a me first company. It had to be team. So that was, you know, that was like, as we, as I had talked to people about what we were creating, we said, we have to create a different model to be successful. Because if we use the same model, that's already out there. That's all about like, I got to take something out of your pocket, Dustin, for me to, to make more. If, if that's, if that's the model, it, it doesn't work anyway. And it certainly is not going to work for people of color, for black mm -hmm. folks. Crabs in the bucket, we call it in Texas. I'm very, very familiar with <laughs> with the expression, and uh, yeah, it, it's a thing. So, yep. when when you are thinking about your next steps of of Greenwood, and as you're expanding, you're doing things, and I, and I really love what things that you're saying about focusing on the team, focusing on the client, focusing on excellence in the moment, and perhaps this this relates back to your engineering background. How do you balance thinking long-term, mid-term, short-term? So, um, you know, it's and, and maybe, and maybe, maybe it's a time. And I, I just want to like clarify. So I'm just like, throwing that big old question yeah, out yeah, there, yeah. but like how much time do you spend thinking long-term goals versus the mid-term and short-term? Like, what's your, what's your, so, you know, a lot of it's, uh, you know, as much as we can, we want to be strategic. And then, I mean, a lot of it is becoming reactive just because like we're getting phone calls from 
big companies saying, we want to work with you. Mm-hmm. And so now we're having to be strategic from the long term of how do we grow smart? How do we learn? How do we, you know, how do we put in the, um, the uh, infrastructure to service that? Because being a broker is one thing, but managing corporate business is a whole different thing. And I learned to do corporate business, business at JLL. And then I saw how the sausage was made at Johnson Controls. And I, I would put together a 300 and something person team with the technology and I'd have a five-year uh, budget for them. And here's what they're going to make. And here's how we're going to pay them. And here's a middle layer of management. And here are the people who do stuff. So we think about all that. And we have a great COO and a great CFO, both uh, with MBAs, uh, super sharp. And they keep us on track strategically, and they, and they also and they they make sure we get stuff done. Now I don't know if you can hear my dog snoring under my desk, man. But he is, <laughs> he, is he is sawing lo- he is cutting some logs under there. No, no, I, I haven't heard that. I've, I'm, you know, this is so. But how, how old's your dog, by the way? He's twelve, but we ran he he we run every day. We ran six miles this morning, and he is quite the athlete, but he is getting his, his snooze on. Well, he's, he's earned those snores then. Yeah. Uh, so when you think about your journey and it sounds like, and I know there was probably been ups and downs. Like there's always, we were human. There's things that where we zigged when we wish we would have zagged, but, and so not, not necessarily regrets, but if there's anything that you could go back at any point in your journey and tell yourself, you know, earlier on, is there any advice that you would give yourself or say, Hey, look out for this pothole or, Hey, when you make this left, you may want to slow down a little bit because, uh, because there's this hazard around the corner. Is there any, anything like that you tell yourself? You know, man, it's funny. Um, I goofed around in college. So I was, I was, um, national merit, blah, blah, blah. I was seventh in my class, full academic. I goofed around college first three years. I, I played basketball every day and didn't, engineering didn't hardly go to class and so I basically the last two and a half years of college I had and it took me was it five years four and a half five years five years to get out last two years um I had to go back and catch up with all the stuff the the beginning engineering that I I basically missed Hmm. and so I, I you know so I used to procrastinate which I don't do anymore and so that was something that I lost time and energy on um it didn't hurt me because I got a bunch of job offers, but my GPA suffered. And, you know, I probably put my parents through a bunch of uh, stress with <laughs> with my lack of grades. And then I didn't do that in grad school. Like I nailed it. Like, like I actually went the other way. I hardly did anything in grad school. I worked out and I studied and I, I would go out one night a week and I didn't do much of anything else because I was determined to, to get it right. Um, anything else? I, I wish I had gotten my, my, my law degree. I actually really, really do like contracts. Um, I wish I had found commercial real estate sooner, you Hmm. know, like, and uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, I'm one of those people, man, that like, I I, I don't want to be the victim of my own choices. So if I make a choice, I live with it. I take Hmm. accountability for it. And I, 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 you know, regrets are, you know, crying over spilled milk. So pretty much, man, if I do something, you know, I'm happy I did it. I'm, I'm pretty, I just, I just kind of look forward, try not to look backwards. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all with that. And I understand that it's one of the things like I like to, to learn and you know, life is, is the best teacher. Right. And so right. having those experience and doing that, but I think it's really valuable 
to also learn from other people's experiences. Because sometimes mm-hmm. somebody else can say something, even though you didn't go through it, it resonates and like, yeah, you know what? I, I either do that or I did do that. And, and maybe I could make better decisions going forward based on that information. That's why I ask. Not like, and, well, and I, and I like not, not like, where'd you mess up? Where, where'd you go? No, where'd you no, go no. And, and I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think I would, you know, I, sometimes I think I wish I had come, I had, I had come up with the model for Greenwood 20 years ago. But I don't think that there was the time, the timing wouldn't have been right. Hmm. The timing just wouldn't have been right. And, and I will tell you that, you know, today uh, you will see a lot of heads of real estate that are, you know, not white males and it makes a difference. Um, It makes a difference when they say we like to see a more diverse team and, you know, we don't want anyone to give us work because we're black. We're just good at what we do. We, you know, like Tiger Woods didn't want to be the best black golfer. He was, he wanted to be the best golfer. He happened to be black. And so we just didn't get the opportunity in the past to do what we can do, show what we can do. And so, you know, I, I, man, I'm, I'm happy. I'm really happy where we are. I'm happy that, you know, that in the middle of COVID, we just took the chance that we say, well, we're already working on Hollywood squares. Let's go for it. And, you know, and if it had failed, okay, we would have learned something from that, but it, it, you know, it's, it's still going and I don't see it, you know, I don't knock on wood, um, but we're going to keep pushing and keep growing. Well, very impressive. Everything that, that you've been able to do so far. And like I mentioned before, I'm very excited to see where you take it next. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't see you slowing down anytime soon. Is there is there anything that you wanna you wanna leave? Make sure that I give you the space to say anything that you want our listeners to to hear or know. Well, um, I, I would say this. Um, you know, part of our mission is is disrupting the uh, disrupting this commercial real estate industry, and that's not just um, that's not just uh, working for clients, but that's reaching out, being on podcasts like this. Uh, you know, speaking at CCIM, working with HBCUs, and you know, I would just say that it's important that that we that we get back in this industry. That we and I love what you're doing with uh, BCREN. Um, that we make connections, that we make real, you know, that we strengthen, we we start real uh, relationships and strengthen those relationships. And so for me, it's it's about giving back. It's about teaching, mentoring. And you know, I just hope that and invite other folks to do that as well, and to um, you know, to it's a great industry. We just have to make sure that people, and with Greenwood, we want to make sure that. And, it's, and I will say this, you know, we it was started by by African Americans, but we're we're diverse, man. We got white, black, Asian, Latina. Um, I mean, you know, just old, young. And, you know, we want, we want to create the firm that we wish we would have worked for. And so, you know, it, it's not, you, you don't have to be black to work at Greenwood, but, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta welcome all people and you gotta value and respect all people and what they bring to the table. So that's, that's, you know, kind of what we're about. Well, having those values in your company and you as a person, uh, you know, the, the future's bright. So James, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Continued success. Kudos on everything. And uh, and yeah, thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you.
thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.